Philippians is uh, dear to me, and, and my life verse is Philippians 3, 7. What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. And I remember saying that at my baptism, and we, we just had uh, uh, Michelle's baptism back on Wednesday, and that was the verse that I quoted uh, right when I came up out of that swimming pool. I was baptized in the swimming pool, by the way. And, uh, you know, it's like, like they say, wherever you can find water, that, that gives you the opportunity to have a baptism. So, yeah, I quoted that verse, and I'd come from a background where uh, I was going to devote myself to writing music for video games. That was the big thing I wanted to do. Uh, at least I determined that later on in my high school uh, uh, experiences. And so that, that's where my focus was. So then... I gave my life to Christ and I had to make some changes. And one of the things that I determined that wouldn't really fit with my future is uh, not to go forward with those plans. That's not to say that video games are inherently bad. I mean, there are some which I think are, but I don't think all are. I mean, you, you play innocent little uh, puzzle games on your phone sometimes. And we, you know, we have game nights here at the church too. We've done video games, but we've, we've done games. There's nothing wrong with that kind of recreation by itself. But I determined between me and the Lord that was the direction I wanted to go and, and pursue music for God instead of pursuing music for other reasons. I'm going to talk tonight about contentment. And so a lot of the songs that we've sung tonight have been about having peace in your heart, about having, you know, I'm standing on the solid rock, and he talks about strife and discontentment. Some of that is exterior. Some of that is interior. Some of that's within our own hearts where we have that strife and discontentment. And one of the struggles that I've had to face as a growing Christian is overcoming some of those desires because that's what I really wanted. That's what I wanted to do with my life. And so then coming out of that, every now and then I, I would slip and fall back into doing some of those things. And my, my older brother with whom I was accountable with uh, would call me out on some of those things, and then, well, then there'd be strife and discontentment on the outside between us, and that caused some uh, interesting situations. But uh, one one thought I was thinking of when when approaching this message, and actually, I <laughs> given the the time span in between the last time I preached, it's been seems like eons since I last went through Philippians with you all here. But uh, we've been going through in chapter four a little mini series that I've called. Uh, Paul's mini guides. So today we're looking at Paul's guide to Christian contentment. And look, so the subtitle for that, learning and knowing satisfaction in Christ, because ultimately that's where you're going to find it. It's not going to be in video games, as it was for my case. Ultimately, there is enjoyment, but there's not that, that lasting, fulfilling enjoyment. I mean, you, I think I even mentioned this during Family Bible Time once, where I talked about uh, how you would play through a game and you would succeed and then finally get to the end, and then what? What do you do? There's just an emptiness. Like, now I need to go out and buy another $60 game so that I can have more satisfaction. And then it's just an endless, vicious cycle. And then you have people like me who, with their childhood money, decided to continue dumping money into that. Well, nowadays it's computers, but that's a whole other story. Uh, I do get enjoyment out of working on computers, you know, playing around with the technology. I, I have a passion somewhat for vintage technology, older technologies. I, I came in 
to the computer age around the early 90s, back when the internet and or Al Gore was spinning it up then, or so the joke goes. But, uh, you know, the 486 days, for those who know computers, that, that was those are my chomping grounds. So I get some enjoyment out of that too, but not, not the same kind of lasting enjoyment that I get from, and I was talking with Pastor Walker about this recently, that being able to, uh, particularly with a family Bible time class, being, being able to study and prepare for those messages and to be able to see the reactions from people as I interact with them through the Word of God. And the, some of the, the comments I get from people just really bless me. You know, it's not to say that I'm the greatest teacher or that I'm perfect, but uh, I believe that the Lord is allowing me to be able to see uh, just a little hint of that, that satisfaction that I can gain through serving Him and not devoting myself to so many other things. So, again, going back to a thought that I was trying to start five minutes ago, there's plenty of ways that we can find to be unhappy in this life. And uh, I'm sure you maybe have found those times where just whatever situation you find yourself in, uh, you just can't seem to climb out of it, whatever that situation is. And... Some of it comes from the frustrations of not being able to fulfill our desires. You know, we're, we're somehow kept back from being able to fulfill those desires, whether it's you know, not having enough money to go buy the newest game or uh, not being able to keep up with the Joneses across the street because his lawn looks greener and you don't have the, you know, your, your lawnmower like the one that I had in Florida, the, the bolts are falling out and uh, you're lucky if you can keep anything in a, in a good condition there. But... Uh, I'll dig into some of that other stuff in more detail later. But we're in Philippians chapter 4. We're looking at Paul's, what I've called, second guide here to Christian contentment here, starting at verse number 10. Let's read some verses. He said, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, now that at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that I have to go through your word tonight. And I pray that you would help your people. Help me, Lord, as I try to communicate some of the thoughts that you've given to me through these words, uh, but ultimately let your Holy Spirit speak through these words because you've given them a power that I can't, uh, I can't realize with my human words. And so I need your help tonight, Lord, as I preach your word. And may the hearts of your people here tonight be prepared, Lord, to receive whatever your Holy Spirit might give to them. And I'll thank you, Lord, for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. So getting into Philippians chapter 4 here, verse number 10. First thing we're going to look at tonight is the sensing of need. So some of our discontentment comes from not being able to fulfill needs. Now we can talk about needs versus wants, but Paul is in talking about being in a state of need here. Verse 10, he said, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. First thing in that, under that, is going to be the revival of care. We see that from the middle of the verse here, where it says, Your care of me hath flourished again. 
And when I think of the word flourished, I think about uh, the time of year that we're in and trying to grow things. You have flowers blooming and you know, going up in the mountains and things look really nice up there. You just had the chance last week to be able to go and do that. And, you know, with all the moisture that we've had, it's, it's just a wonderful experience up there. But, uh, flourishing, think of, think of the flower growing and then that bud coming out. So he says that their care of Paul, this is the Philippian church, their care has flourished in that kind of a way. Uh, where I get the word revival from is uh, from the word flourished there in the original language. That's, that's a way that that word can be understood as well as a, a reviving. Their care for him has revived. It's something that at one point maybe was dormant, but has now been given new life. Kind of like you have flowers in the spring and uh, perennial plants, I believe it is, that, that, that continue to bloom year after year and then they die off and then they bloom again the next year. So sometimes we go through seasons where that's the case. And he says, for them here, their care of him has flourished again. And so he talks about their dry season, which I'll get into here, but the revival of their care. So just to kind of dig through the words here, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. So considering this fact of the, that they've been able to now restore to them uh, care to him, their, their care of him has flourished this is Paul following his own advice. Uh, back in verse number four, of course, we read that rejoice in the Lord always. So this is another one of those seasons where Paul is now rejoicing over what they've been able to do for him. But not only rejoice, but rejoice greatly. So I, I, I could rejoice and I'm commended to rejoice. But this is even greater reason to rejoice because now I'm realizing that you're taking care of me here again. Uh, and we'll see that in other cases in the past, they've been able to take care of him as well. So rejoiced greatly. Now at the last. So uh, in that phrase there, he's speaking of uh, most recent experience. That now, now at the last, in other words, uh, now that you've had another opportunity to do this uh, recently. So he's going into this uh, rejoicing report. You know, we. We try to do that on Sunday night sometimes. This is Paul's rejoicing report here. And Paul is rejoicing that they're taking care of him here. So their care has flourished again. So I talked about how this isn't the first time. If you look at verse number 16, he said, For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. This isn't the first time that they've reached out to Paul in some kind of way. Now we know that Paul, in the context of this writing of this letter here, he's in a some dark prison somewhere and you know in and i mentioned this back when we went through verse number four that it's kind of amazing to me that paul in his condition would be able to rejoice and sometimes we can't even rejoice and we're not even in a worse situation than he is uh that's not to belittle people's circumstances but it's an encouragement for people to to consider keeping their eyes above and we talked about having that sweet peace, and we can rejoice when we know we have that comfort of the Lord that is within our hearts. So rejoice always, he says there. So here he is rejoicing. So we saw the revival of their care, and now we see the redeeming of their opportunity, which you see at the end of verse 10. He said, wherein ye were also careful. You, uh, in, in this aspect, you cared. You, you cared for me, and you wanted to do something 
but for some reason you were hindered from doing this. We see that from the last part. He said you lacked opportunity. And, and the, you maybe you could see the business meetings there in the Philippian church. Like, what are we going to do to help Paul? You know, I, and maybe, I, I don't know what their discussions might have looked like, but maybe thinking of logistics about how are we going to reach him in prison? Um, you know, what are, what are we going to send him? But uh, for whatever reason, it says they lacked opportunity. But now they've been able to take advantage of the opportunity. So this verse here is talking about, well, now they have reached out. They have, their care has flourished again, as he said. He said, you lacked opportunity before, but but now they have taken care of Paul again here in this circumstance. They've seized the moment. And I know for us, uh, there quite often, you maybe see some of those things on TV sometimes where they show... Uh, maybe an animal shelter somewhere and they wanted you to donate money for something or uh, maybe someone over in some country somewhere saying, hey, we need to help feed these children. And think, you can think of other kinds of commercials like that maybe. Uh, there's one that I've seen uh, where it's uh, reaching out to Jewish Christians in Russia, I think it is. And so they're, they're wanting to help feed these people and you know, they're asking for all this money. It's like, well, I don't know if I can, I can do that necessarily, but uh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I'll have an opportunity later. So th- that might be a case where you, you lack the opportunity. You, you might want to help, but you're not necessarily capable of doing it at the time. But maybe there will come a time later when uh, the Lord opens up circumstances to where you're able to give to a worthy cause. That's not to say that everything you see on TV is a worthy cause. But uh, uh, the Lord can give us discernment about whatever those things happen to be. But the Lord, uh, the encouragement is to take advantage of those opportunities when they do come. And Paul is thanking them for that here. So we saw the sensing of the need. And that that sensing of the need came from the Philippian church. uh, Their revival of care and their redeeming of their opportunities. So now we see, Paul is going to answer this, uh, speaking of abounding in need. So there's a sensing of need, now abounding in need. Verse 11, he says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. It's almost like Paul is saying, thanks, but no thanks. Because he says, you know, he's going to get into it a little later. It's like, I didn't I didn't really need anything necessarily, because I mean, we're going to get to the verse later, because Christ is the one who ultimately is helping him. But... He says, I, I wasn't necessarily speaking about uh, being in a state of need, but you guys reached out anyway. And that's the uh, that's part of the reason why he's thanking them is because they did indeed reach out. And you see that in verse 14. But he says, not that I speak in respect of want. Uh, we see a similar kind of sentiment in some other verses here. Acts chapter 20, verse 33. He's speaking to the Ephesians for one of the last times that he's going to see them and giving them encouragement and advice you know that verse it is more blessed to give than to receive right before though that verse in verse 33 he says i have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel yea ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me you see that word necessities there you know what whatever needs paul had he tried to take care of them himself if he could and you see earlier in the book of acts how paul was a, by trade, he was a tent maker. And so he joined up with other people who were also tent makers. 
You know, Paul didn't want to fleece the church by always demanding money of them. He said, you know, I can take care of my needs by by running this uh, tent ministry, I guess maybe you could call it that. This is more of a business, I suppose, but uh, we could go into other things concerning that. But the, the point is that Paul was trying to take care of his own needs and not try to rely on other people necessarily. And so all the more reason for him to say, thank you guys for reaching out to me. I, it, what didn't really, it wasn't really looking for anything, but you guys decided to go ahead and give to me anyway. Uh, another set of verses here, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 7. He says, Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted, because I preached to you the gospel of God freely? That free of charge is kind of the thought there. He says, I robbed other churches. And by the way, that wasn't didn't mean he went into churches and stole money out of their treasure box. But it, it's kind of a metaphor is what it is. I robbed other churches taking wages of them to do you service. Other churches gave to me so that you guys wouldn't be burdened. And when I was present with you and wanted, when, when I was in a state of need, that's what the word wanted means there. I was chargeable to no man. You know, I wasn't I wasn't sending you a bill saying, "Hey, I need this much money. You know, you need to pay up now." I wasn't chargeable. I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. So that really was Paul's heart there. He didn't want to uh, demand anything of the church, you know, it, and especially in our case as a smaller church, uh, it's not like we necessarily have the resources to be able to do a whole lot of things. And so we're, we're trying to manage things the best that we can. And, and Paul had an understanding of that because uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the time period where uh, this is true. Uh, back in Acts chapters 11 and 12, uh, and this was after they uh, had had that magical moment, I guess, of, you know, everyone decided that they were going to give up their lands and sell and give their money to the church, which is what happened in Acts 4 and 5. And some, uh, one of the consequences of that is that uh, the churches then faced uh, instances of fam- Well, there was a famine that came, and so then the church was, was impoverished. And so, I mean, there's, there's good sentiment in wanting to, to be that way, but there were, were consequences uh, as a result of their giving in that circumstance. But so all that to say, I think Paul had an understanding that not every church is going to be able to, uh, you know, pay him you know, gobs of money to or resources of whatever kind to be able to take care of him. So he wanted to try to take care of himself in order to avoid uh, having some of those what could be some uncomfortable conversations with with pastors. So. This was Paul's heart here. He says back in verse 11 in Philippians 4, it's not in respect of want. This isn't, uh, this isn't why he's thanking them. That, that's part of what he's saying there. I'm not thanking you because I said I needed something and you gave something to me. And in fact, really the lesson is that they kind of gave of their own will to give to Paul in the circumstance. Paul wasn't trying to, to squeeze it out of them. And he says as a, a further explanation of that, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. So we go from what I've called satisfaction's clarification. That was the first part of that verse there. And we, we're going to see in the last part of verse 11 and verse 12 here, satisfaction's education. You see that in the word learned there. He says, I have learned 
in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. You know, there's a, there's a learning process to things sometimes. So uh, the, kind of a little mini-series of points within this point here is the this uh, process of education. So that's, uh, for I have learned, and, and you know, just like uh, if you're going to learn to do, you know, I can use maybe my computer experience to try to talk about learning things. It's not like I could just pick up a bunch of pieces, put them together, and have it work. That would be great if it happened, but uh, there's a technician that I've watched on YouTube sometimes that talks about the learning process of being able to do this. And he says sometimes it's good to have things go wrong because then you can learn something from it. You know, what can you do to fix the problem next time? You know, what did you do wrong that caused the problem, perhaps? But there's a learning process. You, know, you, you figure out what all the cards do. You figure out what all the chips do. You figure out how to orient everything. You know how to plug everything in correctly. You, you plug in the cord and you press the power button. Those are important steps because I've heard it said about computers sometimes that 90% of the problems is just something didn't get plugged in or something of the kind. A, a wire's gone wrong somewhere. But learning process. Paul has gone through a learning process here. And the... The place of education is the next part of this verse. In whatsoever state I am. So we have the process of education, and then we have the place of education, which is whatever state I happen to be in at the time. You know, what state am I in right now? Well, I'm standing in front of you all preaching. That's that's the, the state in which I am. Uh, of course, there's more context to that. Uh, um you could talk about people's general life circumstances, and I think that's kind of the idea behind this. You know, what what season are you going through in your life right now? You know, what what state are you in right now? And Paul says, in whatsoever state. You know, how how many different seasons of life have you been through? Uh, everyone goes through ups and downs. You know, everyone has their happy times. Everyone has their sad times. Uh, everyone has their times when they're busy. Everyone has their times when they're bored. Uh, there, there are plenty of different categories of seasons of life. And so apply it to any of those. And Paul says, whatever the circumstances happen to be, whether it's any of what I just said or maybe something else that you're thinking of, Paul says, and this is the point of education here, is therewith to be content. I'm going to be content in whatever that situation happens to be. You know, whether it's in a good time or a bad time or any of the above things that have been mentioned or maybe you're thinking of. So there's the process of education. He said, I've learned the place of education, wherever I am, and the points, or the goal, rather, is to be content in those things. I'm reminded of 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 6. In fact, we even had this as a memory verse for our family Bible time class. Uh, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And there, there are plenty of things that we could talk about where we might be unhappy. Uh, and I talked about keeping up with the Joneses. And you know, some people might be unhappy because so-and-so is, doing, is better off than I am. And therefore, I'm going to be unhappy about that. I'm going to be discontented about that. Uh, or, you know, they have a nicer car than I have. You know, why do they, why do they get all the nice things? And i got to drive around this little uh, you know, green torpedo with a broken bumper on it. You know, why, why do I have to drive that? Uh, by the way, that's the good description of my car right now. Uh, I used to drive a car called the Red Torpedo, but that one's long gone. Uh, anyhow, contentment. 
Uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. You, you put those things together. You live a godly life. You're content with where you are. And there, there is uh, not, you wouldn't call it monetary value, although that's kind of the idea behind the word gain, but it's gain in more of a metaphorical sense, where uh, uh, more of a richness uh, to your life. You've gained something in your life as a result of living a godly life and being content with where you are. And, you know, think of Paul's situation. You know, we could, it is, sometimes it's hard for us to be happy in circumstances that are much better than what he's going through. And yet he can say here, I've learned to be content in those things. I'm happy even though I'm sitting down in a dungeon somewhere chained to a Roman guard. By the way, he's, you see in chapter one that he actually used that as a ministry and at the end of chapter 4 here, he's going to talk about some of the people that he's been able to reach out to and mention them. Uh, but Paul has learned to be happy in those circumstances. Uh, maybe it's a relationship situation. And I, this could be treading on uh, some troubled waters here. But I think about uh, what my situation is currently. You know, how, how easy is it for someone to be single and be discontent? You know, especially as you get up in age and the years go by and nothing seems to happen in that area of your life. It's very easy and it, well-meaning people try to help you. And I, I understand that that happens. And you know, th there are things that happen inside this heart here, which sometimes people don't get to see that, you know, you have those private conversations or you kind of pour out your heart to people. But, you know, think about how someone in that situation could be unhappy and, you know, you don't even have to be my age in order to feel those feelings. 16 year olds can feel discontented about relationship situations. And that's, that was my case, my sophomore year of high school, you know, the, the girl that I wanted to be with, you know, it, it just so happened that my, my best friend at the time, uh, ratted out the secret to someone else and got him hooked up with the girl that I wanted. And so then I, I spent months grumbling over that. You know, discontented over a relationship that I didn't get to have. My, in fact, I think of my freshman year, something happened too. Uh, something happened with my older brother. My older brother ended up for a short time hooking up with someone that I wanted to be with. Uh, just all of these troubles. So you don't even have to be my age to, to be in those kinds of uh, discontented, unhappy situations. Uh, but I won't go on. You know, there are other areas of life too. Uh, and I, I'm reminded of uh, I, there's a blog that I have neglected, but I've written posts for it in the past. And there's something I've kind of had on the back burner for a long time, which applies to what we're talking about tonight. And part of it was thinking about my current situation versus people's perception of the American dream. You know, people talk about the great American dream here today. We celebrated Fourth of July for our service anyway, and. You know, what's one of the reasons people want to come to America is to enjoy the privileges of being an American and living in uh, that kind of a lifestyle where, you know, you have a two-car garage and a two-story house and you have, a, you know, a nice sedan sitting in your driveway and you have uh, a well-kept yard and you have, you know, all kinds of other things that will go along with the general perception of what they call living the American dream. Well, I hate to say it to you guys, but I haven't really lived up to that personally. And... Part of what I was going to write about was the, the difference between that. And it was going to be titled something along the lines of my contentment versus the American dream. And in fact, I've, I've touched on it before in other things that I've written. 
but the, the general thought is that, you know, here I am at the age that I am and haven't really lived up to maybe some of the same expectations as other people. Uh, graduated from college five years ago. Uh, graduated with a Bible degree, and my coworkers back in Florida would say, "What are you going to do with that?" And you know, it's not like you're going to go and make big gobs of money somewhere doing something like what you're talking about. But you know, you know what I can say today now, and especially since I moved back to Colorado, and yes, I'm still working at Subway, but I can I can look people in the face and tell them I'm actually doing what I went to college for. Hey, tonight I'm doing something what I went to college for. I can be proud of that. That That is living a godly life and being content with what your situation is, even though it might not live up to the expectations of other people. So that's that's something that I've struggled with and God has helped me with and brought me to a point where I, I'm proud of where God has me and I don't have to look at somebody else's life and and feel unhappy about where I am. I can be satisfied with where God has me. So looking further on in Paul's life here in verse number 12, looking further at this education, he says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So we look at the the learning aspect before. Now we're talking about the knowing aspect. This is... This is Paul's how-to section. We're calling this a guide. So this is Paul's how-tos right here. He says, I know both how to be abased. Uh, the word abased there has the idea of being brought low or humbled. I, and where he was in that situation where he wrote this letter from, he was in a very humble position, uh, having to pen this letter or have someone else pen this letter in the dungeon wherever he was sitting in whatever his situation was. He says, I know how to be abased. Although, I w one thing I will point out here is that it's more than just having the experience, but it's as much knowing how to be able to survive and thrive in those circumstances. Uh, he, he's not teaching people how to be humbled. He's teaching people how to be content in a situation where you're humbled. And I think that's more of the greater point here. He says also, I know how to abound. And the word abound has the idea of just having great resources, having great plenty. Uh, what happened to those first seven years after Joseph became the governor of Egypt is they had that seven years of plenty. That's kind of the idea of abounding here. Uh, maybe you've heard of verses like Romans 5.20, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And so while you might have a, a great... Uh, plenty of sin in, you know, in this world, maybe in someone's personal life, you know, there's great theology in that verse when you connect the rest of it there. Grace did much more abound. You know, there might be a lot of sin, but there's a lot more grace for that sin. So that, that was just a marvelous truth that I realized from that. But all of that to describe the word abounding here. Paul says, I know how to abound. And I'm sure Paul had been through the circumstances, but uh, he said, I've learned how to be content in those situations, too. I, I believe it was Norman Rockefeller that said, you know, I just love to have just one more dollar, something along those lines. Uh, and that comes from a situation of abounding, but yet not being satisfied in that condition of being abounding. Just, just, just always want a little bit more. 
So I think sometimes it's in those circumstances where maybe we might have trouble also because, you know, when things are going well, uh, how often are we maybe thankful in those circumstances? How often are we uh, glad to be where we're at? I'm sure that's maybe a thought that goes through our head, but uh, more along the lines of, uh, you know, you know when, when is it that people's prayer lives really get excited is – is when you're going through circumstances that are difficult rather than situations where things might be going well. Uh, being in situations of being humbled or abased, as he calls it here, leads you to have that greater connection with the Lord, whereas we might be tempted to do less when we're abounding. But he says, I've learned to be content in those situations also. You know, what about the, the guy who... the the story is told of the guy who built all those barns, and he said, all of these, I have all of these things for many years... And then God said, this night your soul is required of you. You know, was that guy seeking after a kind of satisfaction that he couldn't achieve? But uh, other examples could be given of that as well. So the thought more is of uh, not so much experiencing these situations of life, but knowing how to thrive in those situations. So in the middle of the verse here, he says, everywhere and in all things, everywhere and in all things, he's, he's emphasizing uh, extremes here, uh, uh, superlatives, uh, perhaps, if you want to call them that. Everything, everywhere, every place I'm at, wherever I am, if I'm in Colorado, if I'm in Florida, if I'm halfway across the world somewhere, in a third world country, uh, and in all things, and that might go back to, again, the conditions or states of life. You know, what, what personal situation might you be facing at any given moment? Everywhere and in all things. And he says about that, I am instructed, so back to education here, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And again, emphasizing that this is not a how to be full or how to be hungry. Uh, in fact, if you, you want to know how to be full, just in that aspect of it, go to a buffet somewhere. You'll learn how to be full. Uh, and if you just, if you don't go there, maybe you'll learn to be hungry. I don't know. But uh, this isn't a tutorial about learning how to be full or hungry, but more, again, touching on the thought of whether you're in those situations. If you're in a state of life where you, you are full, you're abounding, as he says in the verse, then I've learned everywhere and in all things to be able to thrive in that situation. And on the flip side of that, you know, think of where Paul was at this current time when he was writing this. It, I wouldn't expect that he was necessarily the best fed person there. And so I would expect that he knows what hunger is. So a couple of other verses to consider here. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 11. Paul is giving a defense of his uh, ministry in this chapter. He says in verse 11 of chapter 4 there, Even to this present hour we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. And labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it. And, and so he goes on there, but just pointing out that Paul was very familiar with this situation of life. And that big long list of things in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where he talks about uh, all of the different uh, difficulties that he's had in ministry. And to top it all off, caring for all the churches. You know, i got to deal with being hungry. i got to deal with being shipwrecked. i got to deal with, uh, you know getting whipped by people 
And then on top of all of that, I'm, I'm trying to, to think about and be concerned about you guys, too, and talking to the churches. You know, that's that's uh, what made Paul tick. But, all, again, all of that just to say, Paul knows what it's like to be hungry. And so he says, I've learned in these things to be content. You see there in that verse there in Philippians, just the, the different extremes. And I think he's using that just to emphasize the point that it doesn't matter where you're at in life. That we as Christians need to learn to be satisfied with with where God has us, with with who God is. We need to make sure that we're uh, taking advantage of our relationship with Him, and not to, and not to falling back to our own resources. But anyhow, going on to our third point here. So we've talked about the sensing of need. Paul is abounding in need. Let's see the response to need here. Verse 13. First, we'll look at the personal response. He says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And I'll separate that first part of the verse there. He says, I can do all things. And I know we like to quote that verse, those of us who know it. And there are plaques that have been made that quote this verse. In fact, we have one at our house. I uh, don't know exactly where it is. But I can do all things there's that disclaimer there, of course, at the end of the verse, but let's focus on the first part there. This, you could apply this to a lot of different things, but I think he's talking about this verse in the context of being content, of being satisfied. I can do this. You know, We get in these situations where things just seem so difficult, you don't know how you could ever be satisfied in a situation, and yet... God says, hey, you can do it. And that's supposed to be an encouragement to us. Because, you know, it's, it's really easy to get down in those kinds of situations. Or maybe a, a situation where you God has asked you to obey a certain thing. Uh, you can do it. You can do it. You have the strength and the power to do it. But again, there's that catch there, which we'll get into. There's the personal response, but there's the divine response, which goes along with that. He says, you can do that through Christ, which strengthens you. I, you know, as much as I think I, I like to think I can help my own circumstances sometimes, quite often you have no control. There, there's really not a lot that you can do. Uh, and sometimes with situations, as much as you might want to help somebody through something, there's not a lot that you can do. But except that God is using you maybe to work through a situation, God can use you in those things. Now, the word strengthen here uh, has the idea of empowering. Uh, you, maybe you've heard of the Greek word dunamis. You know, and the people will talk about uh, that power in that sense, because that's quite often the way that that word is translated, is power. Uh, here it's translated, uh, it's a different form of the word, but it says strengthen it. So it's talking about having strength, being empowered. Again, going back to the idea, you can do this. But it, you can do this only because God can do it through you. And that's the idea with that. What are some things that God has given us the power to do? Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. Pardon my flipping here. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. We have the power to be able to witness to people. But ye shall receive power. Again, that same word that's translated differently in the other place there. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be my witnesses unto me. And so then it lists the you know, basically all-encompassing aspect of just anywhere. Be a witness anywhere. 
But notice that it's with that caveat there. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. There's that catch there. You'll receive power when you receive the Holy Ghost. So we have the power to be his witnesses. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 uh, through 19 there. Uh, God has commissioned us through his power. I'll read these verses here very briefly. Oh, wow, that's way too far. Ephesians chapter 1. I was going the wrong way. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. There's a lot of, uh, in fact, uh, the words power, working, uh, greatness, a lot of those words are related. But uh, he has given us his power. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 7 in the same book there. I think this is what I was thinking of. He says, Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. His power has allowed me to be in the position that I'm at. Uh, and there, there's another verse which unfortunately just left my brain, which I, I can't quote right now. Uh, but Paul talks about how uh, he was found faithful put, being put into the ministry. I think it's uh, 1 Timothy 1. Uh, so Paul was commissioned by God, and it was through his power. We have hope through his power, Romans 15, verse 13. Uh, just to rattle off some others here, God has established us by his power. He has given us a firm standing, Romans 16, 25 and following. He has given us the power to preach, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. He's given us the power to endure, chapter 12 of that same book there, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Uh, my grace is sufficient for you. That's, that's what that verse is. And then talks about the being able to have God's power to endure those situations. And then, of course, I think of other verses, like Ephesians 6, it talks about the armor of God. Uh, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. God is encouraging us in that verse there to receive his power. Uh, Paul prays for uh, their power, to, for God's power to be in them, Colossians 1.11. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.7, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. God's, uh, God's spirit has given us that ability. 1 Peter 1.5, we are kept by his power. And Pastor Larson preached through that when he, that was a long time ago at this point now. Um, yeah, but he's done with his book and I'm not, so I'm, I'm lagging behind here. Uh, 2 Peter 1.3 is another good verse to keep in mind there. God's power has given us the ability to do certain things. His, his power does things in our life and God wants to give us his power. So Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ, who strengtheneth me. So we've talked about the personal response, the divine response, and then lastly, the neighborly response, which is in verse number 14. Oops, let's get in the correct book here. 
notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. So, again, going back to what I mentioned in verse 11, and Paul wasn't asking for a handout, but they decided to help him anyway. Uh, and verse 14 kind of hinges on verse 13, where he's saying, hey, God has been my strength through these things, but nevertheless, I'm thankful that you guys decided to reach out to me. So that's how those two things connect together. You know, in, in light of the fact that God was his strength in, in empowering him to be able to be content in those circumstances, the fact that they would reach out to a perceived need that he had uh, blessed his heart. Notwithstanding, he have well done. So they, they got a well done before they even got to heaven. Well done, good and faithful servant. That you did communicate with my affliction. I talked about the word communication way back at the beginning when I went through Philippians 1 and talked about the, the, the different words in the Bible that are used to translate the word fellowship because that's uh, the Greek word from which this comes. This talks about fellowship and there are different ways and aspects of that fellowship. And one of them uh, is translated this word communicates. Now it's not communicate in the traditional sense of you know, let's have a conversation together. But it's more communication in the sense of uh, maybe you've heard the phrase to be able to, to communicate with someone's need. You know that someone has a need and so you are reaching out to that need. And you have that fellowship with each other because now you have the, the one who is in need and you have the one who is supplying that need meeting together. That's, the, that's where the fellowship comes in there. He said, you communicated with my affliction. Uh, Philippians 1.16, he talks about... You know, the fact that people were even trying to add to that affliction. Here he was already in a, in a dark, damp dungeon. And then now on top of that, uh, there are people that are kind of mocking his ministry by uh, trying to preach the word of God in a way that's dishonoring. And so that was adding affliction to a situation that was already considered difficult to him. But uh, nonetheless, he said, they have communicated with my affliction. You saw the situation that I was in. You guys decided to reach out to me. You know, sometimes when it comes to the area of contentment, uh, that, that avenue of that supply of that, that need for that satisfaction comes through an individual sometimes. And Paul here is, is thankful for the fact that the Philippian church has been that agent that has been used in, in this situation to just make his situation just a little bit better. You know, he was already content, but the, the Philippian church has really just helped him that much more in this situation. So thinking about ourselves tonight, and again, I mentioned that there's a lot of ways in this life to be unhappy. And I don't know exactly where everyone is. I don't know everyone's heart. And I've shared a little bit of my heart tonight about where I've come from, where God has had me, and the journey that God has taken me on to be content in various ways. And maybe that's something that uh, the Lord is maybe trying to tell you in some kind of uh, a still small voice tonight that you just need to learn to be content, whatever that situation is. I don't know. Uh, how the Holy Spirit might use this time to work, but I'm trusting that the Lord, through His Word, can help you with whatever that situation is, to be content, to, to learn to rely on God as the, the sole source for where you're going to get your satisfaction. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and call us uh, 
with a word of prayer here as we finish. And just there in your seats there, you can meditate on just whatever, wherever you happen to be right now. Is Are you in a situation where maybe you're not happy with where you are? Or maybe you're in one of those good seasons. You know, Paul said we need to learn to be content in those good seasons too. So I think there's room for everyone tonight to, to grow just a little bit closer to God through this.